This is RAF with Tony Tone and LA. Yo! Coming to you straight, live, and direct from the Jungle Studios. From here and worldwide, it's your host, one and only, the Love Ambassador. Ironically, you've gone through a bit of love's trolls and tribulations at the moment this week. It's been quite brutal, but uh, there is always joy in the world. And, uh, well, brought back my co-host, Mr. Philly. Mr. Philly, what's up, bro? How you going, man? Yo, man, how's it going? Yeah, it's been pretty good. Me back. Oh, yeah. Well, a resounding, a resounding success, so uh, how's your week been? Busy. It's been good, though. Busy, but uh, busy kind of good. But a lot of a lot of bad news, I think, coming out towards the end of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into the whole uh, vaccination debate a little bit later on. Um, but, you know what, we do our usual open up the BBC uh, news to get a bit of an idea of uh, what's transpiring in the world. Uh, and, well, I guess being American, it'll be an interesting one for you to discuss. Uh, Cole Rittenhouse, the case that is dividing in America. So a bit of a background for people that have been basically living under a rock. There was this 17-year-old kid that um, took an AR-15 during the BLM riots and went down, uh, supposedly there was a call out to protect the local businesses. And as he went down to protect, I think it was a car dealership. Um, uh, well, guess let's just call it a bit of a scuffle. And he ended up killing a few people and injuring others. Um, so what ended up happening was uh, he got acquitted of all charges. So that's the background for it. So uh, before I put my two pence in, uh, what do you think, Mr. Philly? What's your, your whole take on the situation? I would like to start this off by saying, you know, this is a very unqualified opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, but uh, no, I'm not surprised that he got off. Um, Whether or not you think he's right or wrong, I mean, even if you just watch the trial, the prosecution was just really bad. (laughs) They they were just horrible. The judge was reaming the guy out. The, the, the dude was a clown. They say that he was trying to pose a lot because he's running for office and it looks like he's, he, wanted, he wanted to use this as some sort of stage for himself. Um, but personally, just with what was released and, and the evidence that was put out, um, sure, he was walking around with a rifle, but you're allowed to do that in some states and I believe it wasn't an issue here, hence why he was acquitted. Um, and then if... if if you are the individual who sees somebody walking around with a gun and you decide to antagonize that person, um, I mean, that's just natural selection. <laughs> that's just... <laughs> that, that could go either way. He either has that gun for show and he doesn't want to use it, or you're going to attack him and he's going to say, defend himself and, you know, shoot you, which is exactly what happened in this case, even though they did hit him. Um, and I think in a couple of his testimonies, it was more like he was shooting sometimes after he was already hit uh, and they were kind of ganging up. Do you think that there was an element of, because um, it's all the whole white supremacy and racism and everything like that, do you think that was, what's your take with, with that subject on, 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 on this particular situation? Um, I don't think he has anything to do with any of that. Um, I'm sure that if he had some history of posting something that was white supremacist or, or, or racial in that manner, that that would have been plastered all over the media who were pretty much vilifying this kid from the start. Um, so if there was something, I would expect that it would have been blown out everywhere. And because it wasn't, then I'm going to assume that there isn't anything. Um, I, I, I can't make the assumption. I can just go off what I know, and it just seemed like he was uh, a you know, what's the saying? Don't be a hero. Well, he, he wanted to try to be a hero. And it got him into a lot of shit. Yeah, I mean... He's still coming back from this, right? You're, you're, you know, he might want to live a normal life, but forget it. It's done. It's like that other kid who, uh... You remember, what was his name? 
Nick Sanderman or something? The kid who sued CNN? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same thing. I mean, sure, he won, but uh, also at the same time, it's... I mean, what... He's always going to be known as that guy, right? And and obviously his his viewpoint is a lot different than say like a lot of schools, uh, more liberal schools. So it's not going to do him any favors. Right? But what was yeah? That, that that one, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What was it was it was a very interesting. Um, that was interesting as well. I mean, look for me with the the this coal, this coal ridden house issue. Um, I think there is an element of of race involved with it in the sense that because you 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 were sitting at home and there was a protest over um black slash colored people's rights and your reaction to it was they're going to rob a place and therefore I need to be protecting it with weaponry to me, there is a certain element of, um, I mean, look, they call it white privilege, but there's, there, there is an element of race within it, of, of, of a sense of empowerment, because, like, would you have done the, and this would, be, this would be something you'd probably have to ask him, would you have done the same if it was, like, uh, for vaccine, or would you have done the same if it was for jobs or for immigration or for i don't know the labor movement of steel workers that were getting rowdy or whatever it is so i think there is an undercurrent there what i'm fascinated about is how the heck did he get off completely free because if anything, he should have probably been charged for, like, I don't know, taking a gun to a protest. Like, in my head, even if you have the legal right to bear arms, like, there surely should have been something within there that he's broke some form of penalty. Then the issue is also that, like, yeah, he did shoot white people, but then even if it was self-defense, how did he not get, like, I don't know, third-degree manslaughter? Because, you know, if you, look at, if you look at other situations like, you know, some black dude in the hood that could argue the same thing, it would be, it would be like there'd be some form of penalties arranged with it. And so that's why, for me, this whole thing is that you know, do I think that he was like a Ku Klux Klan member? Well, there's no, there's, we don't have evidence of it. Do I think there was elements of like white privilege and a certain element of supremacy, not in the sense of like Klan, but supremacy of like feeling empowered and embodied to do it? Then, then yeah, I do. But the fact that he just got completely off is just, it's just beyond me. Well, okay, but I mean, he, he got off from a, a jury of his peers, right? Everything was laid out on the table, so he didn't break any laws. I mean, if, if anything, if somebody attacks you and you feel for your, and you fear for your life, and then the jury determines that yes, there was a fear there, and you took the adequate response to defend yourself, and then remember, of course, his testimony—they tried to grab the gun from him and all these other things. So, it, it it's hard to. It. But why was he there in the first place with the gun? That's that's for me that that's the actual that's the kicker. Yes, we we can argue whether or not he should or shouldn't have been there to begin with, and the argument could very much be no, he shouldn't have been there. But you have to ask: is is that a racial thing, or is that just him trying to be a hero, important, and feel good about himself? I think it's a bit of both. But it's I I don't think it would be a. Look, okay, the, the, the Black Lives Matter thing, Some there were people who were protesting peacefully, but at the end of the day, there was a lot of uh, rioting done, right? Even even there, near where I was from, there was a shopping mall that they broke into and trashed the whole place, stole a bunch of stuff, right? A lot of it was actually, wasn't even black people, it was all the, like, Antifa, like, what, <laughs> you know, rent-a-crane radicals. It, the thing is, is it, anybody can use it as a... Is a, is a cover, right? It was black people, it was white people, it was anybody who wanted to steal something, it was the perfect time to do it because n- nobody was going to stop you. 
um, and they didn't come after anybody, as far as I understand, after the fact, right? They had all the security camp footage. They, you know, saw who these people were. Nothing happened. Nothing happened, right? It was really interesting as well because you saw situations where it was the same as the Watts riots in the 60s where they actually attacked like black-owned businesses and everything like that. And um, a lot of the people that were coming out that were being attacked were were minority like minority business owners, you know, whether it was... And then I'll, I think yeah. they hurt the most. Yeah, because the, because the Nikes and whatever were like, oh, let's just put Colin Kaepernick in an ad, and, but the ownership's sort of still the same, you know. Um, and that's, that's also the thing for, for me is that there's, a, there's an underlying problem globally that needs to be addressed, um, and there is things within law and commerce and social and attitudes and everything that needs to be addressed, but the actual ownership of the corporations is still the same. You know, they just go and hire some people from different communities that are not white, you know, or LGBTQIA, you know, to say, well, we're, we're hiring the non-white heterosexual people. Um, but the, the companies and big tech and everything else stays the same. So, you know, you, protesting in the streets is one thing, but it's, it's the equity that needs to change and the ownership that needs to change. And that, that's something that will, will, will take time. Um, well, how would, you, how would you suggest changing ownership of, of a public company? Well, I think that, you know, if you were to look at, um, let's, let's use ethnic groups. So let's say, for example, someone completely separate to, to black and white, let's say Koreans, right? So if Koreans join together as, as, a, as a block, right, and they get the doctors or lawyers or shop owners or whatever to create a common pool fund, right? And it might be a little bit, it might be like, you know, $100 a week that everyone puts into this communal fund. And then that fund is used as an investment arm um, to own equity within companies. Or, you know, it's an interesting thing. There was a, the rapper Killer Mike. He did a, a show on Netflix about um, trying to live just only off uh, black-owned companies. And the stats were something like the a dollar spent like 20-something 20, 20 days just within the Chinese community, and it was like you know, nine or 10 days within the Jewish community and six within the Korean or whatever it was. So the money was staying within the community because they were buying from local stores, they were buying from their warehouses, they were buying from their food sources, they were buying, you know, products imported from their countries or, or whatever it was. So uh, multiculturalism is essential, but in certain situations, it's also important to have like that um, tribal element of economics in order to benefit you within the society because the society is structured off a Westphalian system from the latter sort of 1600s. And that can apply not necessarily to um, uh, just sort of minorities. That can apply to Polish people in Australia or Russian people in America or Italian migrants in, you know, Germany or whatever it is. Um because the your community that you live in uh, has to have investment in it. And what ends up happening is if you don't have a combined income, uh, then the tax revenue, or uh, also in situations where you live and who's representing you can determine uh, what happens and what you get, like what you get for schooling, what you get for infrastructure and everything like that. So that's why it's important to kind of be communal in that sense as well but aren't you aren't you worried that a side effect of, of thinking this way is just to further divide everybody right because now you're not thinking because when i when i look to invest in something or i will own something i don't care who runs i don't care who runs the business you know i don't i don't look at oh that's a white guy that's a black guy that's an asian guy it doesn't matter to me right if the business runs well it runs well um I, I already think there's when you look at a country like the U.S., right, where we where we pride ourselves or we, we try to, um, which we I think we've moved backwards in, was that it used to be that you know everyone came to the U.S. Yes, you were you know Italian or Polish, and you had your Italian clubs, you had your Polish Day parades, you had all these things that kind of kept you linked to your ancestry. Right? But first and foremost, you were supposed to be you know just an American. And of course, it's not a fair shake for everybody. 
right? There's poor people, there's rich people, and of course rich people have the benefit. But once we, I, I would be worried that once we start getting into the thing like, oh, we're only going to invest in these types of businesses and we're going to all pool our money together, and, and then it becomes like you're starting small micro communities within the country itself where they just try to operate on their own. It doesn't, it doesn't breed any type of unity, right? Because you're no longer... Everything is tied to your block of people. You just happen to be in America, but what do you really? I, I think it would insulate people more than bring a country together, right? I think it was interesting because I was catching up with um, uh, last night with uh, like theater theater artists, like you know, actors in in theater and and plays, and you know, uh, you would say very to the left of of politics right and it was interesting for me because uh i've always had that um old school caring for the the working class and and the benefit of the 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 country and society but you would probably say also a little bit um conservative or libertarian in the sense that i, I want kind of a smaller governance and, and and less government intervention but what was interesting in the discussions is that even though um, we thought initially walking in that we were like complete opposites, once you actually sit down and talk to people, you realize there's a lot of common elements that we have. Um, and I think building on the sort of the community thing, I think that that's not going to be a full replacement for the society because the society still has to have, like you said, the cohesiveness. But what was interesting is even if you talk about Bitcoin, uh, shout out to Zach for this one, a lot of the people now of that, that way of thinking, are, they call themselves ethical investors. Uh, and it was quite interesting because, you know, doing shipping of mining companies, they're like, oh, well, you, you, you do the blood money, you know, like the blood money of miners. Uh, and I was like, well... <laughs> From an indigenous perspective, yeah, you, you, you're probably right. But on the other hand, like the indigenous people in Australia have like they what people don't understand is indigenous people have the decision if the mine goes ahead or not. Right. Like you actually have to get indigenous approval on the land to mine it before before anything else happens. It's, it's part of the like you don't even get finance against it. Right. So I was kind of explaining that situation. But also now it's like people really take into account a lot more of climate and and community and what the companies are giving back. And now you're looking at even with millennials that are that are taking jobs on, they're looking at in regards to climate and what are your social policies and everything like that. But then you've got, again, people like me that will have an element of that but are also just hardcore capitalists which is like it doesn't matter if you're black white in the middle if you want to hug trees or smoke trees or do whatever like you know cash money let's let's go get it and, and work together but also what was interesting is that um from those discussions we really established that the common thread of people in every country is the living standards and the infrastructure and uh, it's the same thing with, you know, like, uh, without telling the, the viewers all about what I was thinking of and going through, but even with this lady and, and with, with, with a West African lady and as a person in Australia moving to, uh, if I was to move to Nigeria, for example, yes, it can be love and, and, and the person might have a really good job and you might live like a king because you're sort of the outsider and everything like that. But then you also think of stuff like, what if I get sick and I've got to go to the hospital? What's the infrastructure like? What's the schooling like? What's the universities like? What's the, if I lose my job or my partner loses my job, what's the social services like? Uh, what's the community programs? What's the investments in the community programs? What's the investments in, uh, if my, God willing, I have children and they're really good at soccer. Uh, what's their, what's, is there sports institutions for them that they can do? And, and that goes from community to society, where the society and the country has to be run to manage it and that sort of thing. And what was interesting is when you talk to these people that, like I said, were the left of politics, they might hate like the Republicans or what 
our equivalent would be with Liberals or Tories or whatever it is in the UK. But they still identify that they need they need that structure and infrastructure to even help them because when they were out of work for two years because the theatres were shut, they're living on government handouts. Yeah. So, huh. So you're saying the link is infrastructure? I'm saying that the link is a common bond of, um, yeah, infrastructure and uh, social... social be- life is the bond. I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> of course. You know, like yeah, it's the, it's and it's the ability to prosper, uh, however which way you see prospering, um, on it. So, so yeah, well, all right, well, a bit of a bit of food, a bit of food for thought. Now, um, well, I guess we're gonna have to we're gonna have to address it because it's you know every podcast around the world does it. Uh, it's completely divided the society. It was like so weird that when you sit, even when you sit down and you meet random people, now the first thing they talk about is the this blinking vaccine. So you don't have to volunteer your your thoughts if you don't want to. That's that's your opinion. And if you are, you aren't. But for the listeners, I'll go through. For me, I am uh, fully vaccinated, uh, and the reason why I did it was because whilst they say it's not mandatory vaccination um for me it they basically did it so my work i wouldn't be able to do anything i wouldn't be able to be within the society uh but also my sister's a doctor uh so i sat down with her uh, and it was very interesting actually because she really was like um at the time herself a little bit skeptical and she said when i researched it i had to go to like seventh or eighth page on google to get some proper research and it was really quite difficult because there was so much uh, information out there for either yes or no and in many cases no and also for me there's an element of um if 90 percent of the population is uh, is done then well if it's going to completely fuck me then uh, I'm going to be a zombie anyway, right? What I object to now, though, uh, and very strongly object to it, this has now become, in uh, again, probably a libertarian point of view, a complete power play by governments for complete control. And uh, to give you an example, Mr. Philly, like in Victoria, they're trying to pass this pandemic law, which is what people have been writing in the streets over, as well as people that are anti-vax, where they want to have the Premier of the state, not the country, so the state, there's multiple states within Australia, when they have the Premier to determine with the Health Minister that it's a pandemic and it doesn't have to physically be in Australia, so it can be like Ebola in West Africa or whatever it is, um, or SARS in Hong Kong, Volume 3, declare a pandemic put everyone into lockdown, and then instead of it going through the judicial system uh, for people that have protested or whatnot, have a council of which they of which they appoint. And then if you break those laws, you go into prison for two years as a maximum penalty, or fines in 90000 or businesses get fined hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, and basically, it sets a very dangerous precedence that the head of the Bar, the bar in, in Melbourne, which is like the union of lawyers, came out and said the Stasi, which was the the German communist police that were notoriously brutal, that the Stasi would have loved this type of power. Now we're seeing also in Europe the lockdown protests. Um, we're seeing it really take off. And again, it's it's now gone from a question of vaccine or not to people generally protesting against uh, its governments now and the ability to lock it down. And even people that are fully vaccinated, you know, countries are going through third and fourth and whatever waves because what people forget, and I see this when I go out, people are like, oh, thank God, I'm, thank God I'm double vaccinated and now I'm safe and I don't have to worry about it. Well, it's like, no, you idiot, the vaccine doesn't last. Any vaccine only lasts like a couple of months to six months and you've got to have boosters essentially indefinitely. So, you know, I mean, that's kind of what's going on in my thoughts. But, you know, for, for what it is that you want to talk about, whether it's Europe or whatever, what's what's your thoughts on the matter, Mr. Philly? This is a, 
Man, this is a tough one. I'm trying to find the right way to talk about it. <laughs> um, I've always been of the, the feeling that people should be allowed to do whatever they want to their, to their own body, right? Yep. Um, I don't like how things have been getting so... Uh, I mean, some places aren't mandating it per se, but they essentially are mandating it in a way that you can't do anything unless you have it. So they're just beating around the bush, but it's, it's, it's clear as day, and it's becoming a very... Um, I, I think it's kind of how you said is it, to, to me it just screams power grab it's just a huge power grab because you can see how, how much they've just changed the rhetoric as time went on you know first it was flatten the curve then it was have to get herd immunity I mean now you look at some places that have 100%, 90%, 80% vaccination rate doesn't doesn't mean anything, they're still going in lockdown all the time, now they're saying you have to get boosters or I think what Israel say like you mentioned you're, you will go back to being considered not vaccinated if you don't get your booster. So now you've, you've just become a, like a never-ending line of just getting booster shots, and then the government continues to try to use the, which I, I think is very clever, that they, they, they hide it or they try to use the, the idea that they're looking out for your own protection, right? It's for your protection um, and your best interest. But really, it's just them starting to infringe more and more. And, you know, now they, the, I don't know if you guys have this in Australia, but let's say in, in Singapore, you have to scan in and out everywhere you go. Right? Yeah. So they know your movement all the time. Um, not even getting into what they're doing here in terms of uh, locking you out of places. Uh, but, like, starting next year, if you're not vaccinated, that you won't even be allowed to go into places if you have negative result of a test for the same day, right? They won't, they won't let you. So the, 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 there's no logic behind these things. It's just it's now it just seems like it's strong arming. First it was the the promise of going back to normal, and now that they have enough people vaccinated, we're still really not back to normal. But <laughs> it it's a nice thing to see so many people protesting. I would say because um, my big fear is now that you have such a wide margin of people who want to be vaccinated and who don't want to be vaccinated. Um, you know, you're looking at like maybe 90% to, depending on where you are in the world, uh, but let's say more than half are vaccinated. Um, and now the finger blaming and the pointing starts going towards people who aren't vaccinated. And they say, oh, it's your fault. We can't open up again. It's you, you, you. It, you know, it's it's not their fault. It blows my mind that the, the vaccination success is being based off of people who, who aren't vaccinated because we've already tossed herd immunity out the door. I, I don't see anybody even talking about that anymore. Now it's just everyone get vaccinated, have to get your boosters, and we'll see how things go, and if we open up more. After keeping us, you know, locked up like uh, a parrot in a zoo, stuck in your apartment, you know, hawking over the phone, trying to do things to keep yourself sane, and then they give you these promises of, of and it's such a shit promise, really. It's, they're not giving you anything good, it's what you already used to have, and the only people doing this are are them and then you have um, I just I, I have a lack of trust now in, in most I think most people don't trust politicians right I think that's what's I think that's what's come out of it yeah, yeah. But, why but even prior to this people probably didn't I never trusted you know for me to say a politician was a good politician is very much like he must have done something exceptional for me like lower my taxes then he's good <laughs> <laughs> otherwise forget it I don't trust any of them why all of a sudden are people so willing to trust these guys and these and these experts? I mean, look at Fauci in the U.S. He's a clown. He's an absolute joke. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm gonna have have my tinfoil hat on here, but he was freaking balls deep in that whole gain of function, uh, you know, research and everything like that. And and even as simple as you know, let's let's say it wasn't even ill-minded. He 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 was just. They were all they were all just involved in doing this research of like pushing the limits of it. it. Did they expect to maybe release it to a COVID pandemic and whatever? No, I still think it was a I still think it was a, originally an accident. But um, even in even in in Melbourne, right? So you know, originally like COVID came out and they were like, oh, you know, it's from the bats and everything like that. 
our our scientists were like had a JV with the the, the bat lady, whatever she was called, and we were running out of uh, out of Victoria like full hardcore tests and everything like that as well. It's just that in, it's just that in Australia, it's so like the security is so just insane for that very reason that they didn't want to let it out. Um, but yeah, it was, it, and all the scientists, it's all about, it's the same with like um, arts, actually. You're constantly trying to get money. You're try, constantly trying to get grants. Like you're try, constantly trying to get funding. So yeah, I mean, I just, I just think that, um, I think we as a society of, I think we as a society have lost our, we've lost our um, soul in a way. Because we used to, in Australia, it used to be very egalitarian. It used to be like, and and again, coming back to sort of my own sort of personal relationships, you know, people always say, well, you, you're too cruisy and still go with the flow and nothing's ever sort of really serious. But it's because where you live in Australia, your lifestyle, it's just like everything's like happy-go-lucky. People ask you, <laughs> like a very common saying in Australia is like, no worries. Like everything, like it means like it's all good, it's no stress or whatever. So people will be saying it and multiple times. You'll be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. no worries. How you going, mate? Oh, it's all good. All good, no worries. How's the missus? Yeah, it's good. Any hassles? No, nah, no worries, you know. you uh, Someone will give you the change. Have a nice day. Yeah, thanks, mate. No worries. Whereas now when you're looking at the society, we're completely divided between uh, the vaxxed and unvaccinated. And I've got friends that are, I've got, you know, friends in Melbourne that are un- unvaccinated. And there is like, there is the, the health side, right? But I'm so completely against turning my back on my friends. And I'm so completely against the fact that, that again, is when you say it in this day and age, people are like, oh, you're, you're sounding a little bit like a white privileged heterosexual male. But like these guys have been here since the convict times. Like, their family goes back to, like, you know, 1800 when they came on one of the convict ships. And they're locked out of their own country. That for generations, they've been, like, contributing and building and working the land and paying the taxes and whatever. That part of me sort of thinks, like, if you're not going to allow someone that's vaccinated to do anything, then no tax. Then, like, generally, you, you, you get, like, a percentage that you've got to pay for you. Uh, for your, you have a percentage you got to pay, and then, and then that's it, you know, for the hospitals. Yeah. You know, so percentage there where you've got to contribute to the hospital if you get sick, and uh, and then and then that's it. Because otherwise, what are you paying for? <laughs> like it's like James Brown had this song: "I'm paying taxes, but what am I buying?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah, I just hate how it's divided it. I, I I want, and and it's and everyone's everyone's stuffed in the head, mate. You know, and even people that haven't been in like you talk to people that haven't even been in like COVID impacted countries that much, or they've had a bit of lockdowns or whatever. And uh, yeah, a lot of people are falling apart. Like a lot of people falling apart in work and uh, relationships and family and life, and that's the cost. That's actually, to me, the cost. We, we, we lost the humanity in us, I feel. Well, like I, like I, I, I mentioned to me, I, I think it's interesting that things were already divided before this, right? And people kind of took sides, basis, politics or, or religion or whatever. Climate. Um, and then they changed that to vaccination, which I think is a much harder thing to argue, right? Because they try to play it as if you're doing the you're you're they're working in your best interest, and then on top of that, they say that uh, if you don't do this, you're you're the reason you know all these people are you know you're you're the reason the vaccine doesn't work. You're the reason we can't open up anymore. You know, blah blah blah. And it's easy for people to kind of corral around that side, and it's e- it's just as easy for the other people to corral on the other side and say, no, it's my you know my body, my choice. I can choose whatever I want to to put in here. And if I if you look at the numbers of you know serious cases, who goes to ICU, the deaths and such, if you're young and healthy and you don't have any pre-existing conditions, why are you gonna pump yourself full of drugs? 
like if, if you're older and have problems, I understand entirely, right? Maybe you want to hedge your bets. It makes sense to me. But if you're like a 21-year-old guy who doesn't have any issues, healthy, why do you want to take a chance? And we see that in some rare cases there are pretty bad side effects to this stuff, right? Like Moderna vaccine's been uh, disallowed in a couple countries already. I think Taiwan's investigating it now. Yeah, Thailand. I think Tha- Thailand was just, Thailand was investigating something as well. I mean, the... Yeah, I mean it's also, but you also are seeing like a lot of younger, a young, a young, a young people on the on the ICU wards as well. Um, so, anyway, like I said, the, the we've done a we've done a our our vaccine talk on it, so we don't have to do it anymore. Thank, like honestly, thank God, we've like ticked the box of podcasting talking about vaccines. So moving forward, we can just talk about other stuff. So, um. This has gone a little bit off the sort of the BB, the BBC stuff. Uh, you used to uh, used to play the saxophone. So, what kind of got you into the saxophone? Like, what some of your musicians you like, uh, jazz, funk, you know? Just uh, walk me through it a little bit. That was very. That's a left field question. Didn't expect that. Oh no, mate! It's a. It's a I'm a good host. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, I guess what got me into it was I started off playing piano, uh, and I did not like piano, which I regret now. I kind of wish I kept playing piano instead, but whatever. Too late to go back in time to when I was seven. Um, playing when I was really young, didn't like it, but my parents, um, specifically my mom, said I had to play an instrument. Had to. Yeah. I had to do some type of music. Uh, if I'm not going to do piano... I have to do something else, and if I don't do something else, I'm doing piano, so it's fine. What else can I do? And my dad was in uh, a string band in Philly for the Mummers Parade and all that stuff, and he played saxophone. So he had a saxophone, he said, oh, you know, why don't you try it and see how you like it? And I liked it because it wasn't a piano. So uh, so I started playing, and um, yeah, God, I played for, I, I barely touch it anymore mostly because once you move into apartments and such you kind of mm, your neighbors won't really appreciate it I guess um, so I stopped I think when I got into college but my favorite artist was probably like Stan Getz and I like Charlie Parker I used to try to play his stuff um, yeah those two are probably the big, the big two um, but I, I, I was actually more of a I mean I did play jazz but I was actually more of a classic <laughs> Classical saxophone player. Not that that's very useful. <laughs> well, I was about to ask how, how how does a how does a classical saxophone player even work? Do you play like Mozart and it's just transcribed or what? Um, I don't remember the name of the books anymore either. But it was like old. They used it a lot for auditions because it was very technical. It was very technical and hard to do, right? Because it was it was it was. The music was complicated, the timings were different, it was a lot of fast finger movement, but it sounded very nice. Um, so I just got into it, and then eventually I just, I, it, it was never meant to be the what I played, right? Because I think even my mom always wanted me to play more jazz, such, which I did play jazz, but I, I found more enjoyment playing those old um, like classical pieces, because saxophone was made, right, to replace the violin. Really? I didn't know that. It, it, it was made to. It was supposed to be. Uh, let me fact check myself here. But I'm. I'm pretty sure that saxophone was built to replace uh, string instruments. Um, so they had classical pieces of music. Uh, they had classical pieces of music written for it. Um, so I, I would. I would play. I would play that. I, I would enjoy. I don't. I don't really remember a lot of it. But I. I know it's not like your typical. Uh, like the slow moving piano pieces. I mean, this was a very, I would say, very fast and very. It, it was a lot of finger, a lot of finger work, phrasing. But uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, and then um, yeah, I just kind of fell out of it after a while. Sadly, it's something I would like to get back into. But like I said, playing in an apartment, I had I got noise complaints in my current apartment when I moved my table. What? Yeah, I had I had neighbors like that in Perth. I, I had neighbours like that in Perth that like were full on like um, knocking on my door, yelling at me, and like writing to the um, complaining to the fuck. What are they called? 
the, the 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 body that watches over the buildings and everything like that and i was getting warnings and mate i was walking around with like my headphones on i just got to the point i and like i've got a, a electric keyboard i just had it on like i used to just i made no noise right I just petrified because everything i was doing was just like they were going nuttos at me and then it turned out <laughs> a couple of years later it wasn't even me like, I had absolutely fucking nothing to do with it. And then for, like, two years, they'd been abusing the shit out of me, right? And it wasn't even me. Like, because I got to the point where I was, like, just... I, I'll get, I will literally put a bed in the main room of my house. You can sleep there and just get your other partner to sit on the other side. Just, I'm not doing anything. And it was crazy, because then after that, we became, like, best friends. And like they were, they were, they were a lesbian couple, and she tried her best to like kind of apologise. I just said, look, you know, it's the past, the past. We move on, right? It's how I live. And yeah, when I when I was leaving, when I was actually moving house before I just left Perth, um, they were like real nice and really like genuine. Sorry to see you go, sort of thing. But um, yeah, it was interesting. I was building on what you were saying. Uh, ironically, I went the other way. So I was also seven years old. Um. And uh, my mum, it's like a, it's like Eastern European thing, right? It's like Eastern European mums, you've got to play an instrument when you hit seven. Otherwise, you know, otherwise they haven't done their bit for culture. <laughs> you know, the, the child's going to become a peasant that can't do anything. It's going to, the whole village is going to hate them. <laughs> so I actually had the choice of uh, piano or saxophone. And I, I went the other way around. So I went piano. And then I had, um, actually now I think about it, kind of ironic with the current history of uh, Belarus, but I had a Belarusian uh, teacher uh, in Melbourne who who was so good that she left Minsk, I think Minsk's the capital, she left Belarus for Moscow at like 13 and lived in the conservatorium and then was trained up as a as a concert pianist and then she was uh she was quite famous in the soviet union because she used to play on like the soviet union uh radio through russia and all the republics the classical music so she was like the um yeah like the full real deal uh, and then she ended up migrating to to Australia in I think probably like late eighties, early nineties and was teaching was teaching kids how to play. Uh and at the time, like sh- both my mum and her were like soup like you know it's like like <laughs> with Ruskies and Poles, like it's like they'll just the your, your mum slaps you your mum slaps you to try and make you play and then your piano teacher yells and hits and pushes and drives and whatever. And the byproduct of that was I was a freaking... I myself was like a full child prodigy. But but because it was forced, I only liked to play Chopin because it was like when my grandparents were alive, it was a real connection with uh, with my grandparents. Yeah. And um, it's... Uh, it was like they used to do concerts and then there was an old Australian lady called Hilda that raised raised me and my sister as kids. She was our babysitter. Uh, but when she was like, her grandkids were in the, another state, so we were kind of like the de facto grandkids for her. And uh, I used to do sort of concerts for her. Uh, so that, that I used to always enjoy that side of thing. And then later I got into um, Frank Zappa's uh, pianist, may you rest in peace, Alan Zavid. Uh, I was playing, because I used to walk around music stores playing different pianos to practice. And I was playing this like fucking intense Gershwin prelude piece. Um, like just the syncopation and the rhythm was just, bruh, it was fucking mental. And he actually came up. And he's like, oh, hi, you know, you know, my name's Alan Zavid and I, and I played with Frank Zappa and I'm best mates with George Benson. And I'm like a 17-year-old kid in a fucking record store. And I'm like, who the fuck is this dude, right? You know, here's my card. Come over and give you some lessons and everything like that, right, if you're keen. Uh, so checked him out, it was true, went over, got some lessons, and then he actually ended up going to the States. And for whatever reason, he stayed in the States for a couple of years. So... That's why I didn't progress as much with the jazz, but 
through a couple of lessons with them, I learned the basic chord progressions, and I can kind of like do a basic jam. So I'm I'm more a pianist for the for like a groove section um, and laying it down. And then I also got into hip hop because by the time I turned 18, it was yeah, like you just couldn't get chicks being a classical pianist. You just were getting no tuppies. So I decided to take up rap instead and just drop rhymes for chicks and try and sugarcoat sugarcoat my words to to get a bit of loving. And I became a freaking unbelievable like rapper. <laughs> like I, I, I'm a I, I do the freestyle raps. You know, like you make up words on the spot and everything like that. Um, and uh, just to close, <laughs> what ended up happening was. Uh, Shout out to Sway, he's a, he's a real cool dude. He, he has the radio show Sway Universe. It's like a hip-hop um, mm-hmm. politics, like everything show in the States. And that's the cool thing about Instagram when you're on it because you can talk direct with people. So, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, you, it's it's not like the sort of friendship mates, but you talk to each other quite often about everything else and it's cool to watch shows and trade uh, ideas and everything like that. But when I watched, uh, I used to watch Sway's, pro- I still watch his programs and everything like that, and they used to have the five fingers of death, which is the five different beats, and you have to rap over it. Now, <laughs> Mr. Philly, I used to think that people were making it up on the spot, that it was not written. I've since found out that the majority of times that it's actually written, <laughs> written lyrics before you go in. So from that, I was like, holy fuck, like, these people are really good. So I used to practice and just practice and practice and practice because I wanted to be in the five fingers and I wanted to just blow, like, you know, Tracy G, Heather B and sway away for the five fingers and just smash it. Like, that was, it still is one of my life goals. I don't want to be famous. I don't want the money of fame or anything like that. I just want to be able to, like, do the five fingers and they're just like, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> Cheeky fist pumps and everything like that. So, yeah, that was that was kind of a, my musical journey as well. Um, so, uh, look, I think we'll, like, uh, finish it off. Maybe we'll find uh, one more thing to talk about. And uh, I just want to fact check myself quick. Yeah. Phone, I was wrong about that. It was not intended to replace the violin. Also, fun fact for you, my saxophone teacher was actually a Polish guy. No way! It's like yeah. you and I literally had like role racial reversals. I like to you, but yeah, because we were just you were just talking, and I was like, oh sh- shit, <laughs> my, my saxophone teacher was Polish. Yeah, some Polish, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I don't know, I'm just having a quick look through the. This is a problem when you kind of look through BBC. This is a problem with the news now at the moment, right? It's all the same. It's all climate change, the coal, 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 Belarus, floods, everything like that. So uh, I'm just trying to find... Because I remember last time we found that novelty thing about the, the snakes. Yeah. Um, it's all just... It's, 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 it's mostly depressing stuff, I think. Yeah, I was even talking to my old man about it the other day. He's, he's like, I just can't watch the news anymore. It's just, just death and destruction and everything yeah, like that. It's no fun. It's no fun. Let's look at the, let's look at uh, US and Canada. No, this is also, oh, there we go. House passes 1.9 trillion social spending bill. Oh, yeah. All right, well, we might as well just finish it on the on the, on that then. What's your, what, what's your thoughts on all this, you know, splashing money crap. everywhere? So it, it's, it's, I think it's really going to come back to bite people. Um, and by people, I mean everyday Americans. And actually, probably everyday people people um i mean how can you how can you just make this out of nowhere this obscene amount of money and i guarantee that most of this stuff is going to get lost in in in, in union deals and going to people's pockets and it, i i want to be wrong and i want to see everything turn out fine and i want to hope that the people who are running the country now are complete clowns and that in you know five years ten years the u.s is beautiful with new roads bridges hospitals schools everyone's happy but i think this is just a that's yeah, just a it's just a joke I, the this build back better I, okay i agree with going after farm school companies which is good but i doubt they're going to do it too much so we'll have to see. Um, I don't know if it, if it 
because now it has to go into the Senate. Um, and I don't. Is this the infrastructure bill, or is this this separate thing that's full of just a whole bunch of like whack shit? My friend, there is no such thing as a simple bill. Every bill is filled with whack shit. So you can imagine the amount of whack shit in a one point nine trillion dollar bill. Bro, I remember reading the breakdown of one of those bills, and they had money for like fucking pandas walking on treadmills or some. Like it was like it was literally that obscure. Oh, the research, the research funding is ridiculous. If you look at the stuff we put, we put money into. But if if you ever have the time, which I don't, and I don't have the inclination to read through a, a, a huge bill like this, I'm sure you'll see a lot of weird stuff. And I, from what, if I'm not mistaken, what they'll usually do is they is they'll put things in extra to get people to vote yes, right? No. So they just keep tacking things on, and it just goes, 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 tack, 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 and then they vote, and it's this huge convoluted spending bill. Look at the, since when was our government good with money? Probably not since like Andrew Jackson. Could we do anything <laughs> when it came to money? And now these clowns want to print all this cash. Where are they going to get this money from? Well, people don't seem to, you know, people don't seem to to, to get nothing is free, right? Like even people say, oh are free government's covering it it's not it's not free you're paying for it everything is paid for you pay tax you pay sales tax you pay tax when you buy gasoline which is supposed to go to fix the roads but does not um, you, you pay tax on everything they tax you I, I remember they used to have this is speaking in, in US right they used to not have sales tax on online purchases I don't know if you have that in yeah we have uh, we have uh, goods and services tax 10% we had, um, but one of the things that was kind of, eventually they introduced it, right? But then there was one thing that kind of squeezed by, which was actually buying video games off of, like, uh, like we played PlayStation, Jimbo. You yeah. go to buy a game, there's tax on it, right? Yeah. In the U.S., there used to not be tax on it because it was kind of, I guess, considered you were just buying a addition to the system that you already had from the system's marketplace. And it kind of, I think, went under the radar, but I, I, I don't... I think it's too old, but they introduced that. That was that was new. Yeah, to so start paying tax on the the purchases from the PlayStation Store. And how much can you tax? The, the problem that I also have is there's always this like tax the rich, right? So I mean, I was having this discussion with my friend in uh, Singapore, and he works in, he's like a financial auditor, and as he was saying, I think the tax rate in Singapore is like fifteen percent or something, no matter how much you earn. Whereas in in Australia. Um, Yes, the majority, the average wage would probably be like, I don't know, 70, I don't know exactly what it is, but 70, 80,000 a year. And then the majority of like the, the, the middle class would earn that probably like 80 to 120 on a single salary and then they combine it and then, you know, they, they earn more and, and that's how they afford the housing is in the combined income. But you can also, by just having a, a pretty like pretty decent kind of office job or even like a successful uh, construction or like tradies, you know, if you've got a couple of plumbers working for you or whatever, you hit that 47% tax rate like pretty fucking quickly. What's your top tax bracket? 47, 47, 48%. Oh my God. But then also we have that on, we also have that on capital gains. So... If if you if you if you buy shares right for a thousand dollars and then you sell it for a thousand dollar profit, if you do it within a year, that full thousand dollars is at whatever your tax rate is. So if you're if you've let's say you've gone and had a massive year and you've got bonuses and everything like that and you know you you you're at the forty seven percent, it's at forty seven percent. So you hit that four hundred and seventy dollars tax of that thousand dollar profit, right? Then, if you leave it for a year, then it's like five hundred dollars. So it's still like you know a percentage of that. So then, when it comes to taxing the rich, right? Yes, the billionaires, but the billionaires are always going to find ways to minimise the tax. Always. And you mean to tell me that if they're in America or Australia and the tax gets so insane that they're just not going to move to like Indonesia or Barbados or wherever and? have their private jet fly them to whatever their homeland country is for a certain amount of time per year. So it, it therefore becomes the ones that really suffer are the ones in the middle class because they, they end up, and the poor, because 
they end up having to fork out all the revenue that they've got for the limited amount to cover everything because the rich will find other ways to do it. But then even for the people that are considered the top percent, like let's say top 10% of the country, right? So the top like one, two are like filthy rich. But then there's the others which are on what is like a, a well-to-do salary, but they don't have that much margin. Because the houses that they live in and the areas are more expensive and the cars that they drive are more expensive and the overseas holidays and the lifestyle and their living and the private school fees or whatever. So it all evaporates pretty quickly. So it's a real interesting thing, like you said, with the spending bills. Of where does actually the money come from? Yep. Everyday people. Middle class. So I can see the rich only ever get richer. Yeah, man. Uh, but then remember in U.S., right, they will even want to do this. Oh, we need to, uh, we want to track whenever you have X amount of money come in or out of your account. And it's very low amount, right? It wasn't very high. And they're like, oh, this is to go after billionaires. It was like $500 or something. If it's going after billionaires, up the number. But they say, okay, that gives us the right to kind of investigate people who are, who, you know, might not. But look, I, again, I don't trust these people, right? I don't trust Anytime they want to start overstepping, saying we want to give more power to the IRS, who are great people, right? Yeah, I love the ATO as I well, mean, if they're listening. I mean that's sincerely, don't hold that against me, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love those guys. <laughs> but um, then what was the other one? Oh, they wanted to start taxing people on uh, unrealized gains. That was like their... Yeah. They, they try doing that here as well. It's only going to be on very wealthy people. Right. They say that now. But once you open that door, what's to stop them from just, you know, really... Did, wasn't there some talk not too long ago of World Economic Forum or something where it's saying you will own nothing but be happy? Yeah, the glo- it's the global reset, mate. This, we're, that, I'm kind of half convinced we're in the process of it. You're not going to own a house, right? You're not going to... And, and you'll be happy. Why will I be happy? I'm not going to be happy. I think when you look at what the World Economic Forum talks about and 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 whatnot, uh, you know, I'm sure they're listening in now. I think that your biggest hurdle, World Economic Forum and global reset people, is going to be the house, because the house, like the house, is so focal in Australian and American like house ownership and owning it is so tied to like status, self-esteem, livelihood, like everything that to change the mindset of giving up your house and then being happy would yeah it's going to be a huge hurdle for them if they want to achieve that and i don't know how they would yeah i don't i don't i don't know um i don't know either i i i mean who who chooses where where the people live like who chooses Okay, so no one owns houses anymore, and I and I live in a really nice area near the beach. So do I just keep that house because I owned it previously? No, but that's what Singapore does. That's what China does. It's all leaseholds. So then, but then what's interesting if, if is then I, what? If I, wanted to, if I wanted to buy an apartment here, right? You have you have one option which is slightly cheaper because apartments in Singapore are just crazy anyway. One option which is leasehold which means you don't own the apartment, you just have the right to use it for X amount of years. Yeah. Or you buy freehold, where then you can own it. However, if the government for some reason thinks that they have to take it away or they want to build a new complex there, they can. you, you could get it taken away from you, right? Um, it's sort of like in US if you have a house that they want to build a highway through. It's the same here, but what ends up happening when they want to do that in Australia is they pay you so much money that you actually... You actually want to have a house near. You actually want to have a house on the main road in the hope that you can sell it to them. Oh no! See, in the US, it's uh, they give you fair, fair market value, and they have one of their one of their people come out and tell you what that is. Here, they have the similar thing of the fair the fair market value. They go and evaluate, and let's say it's worth I don't know a million bucks. They'll give you one point two for the inconvenience. That's not good. So they just so they just like throw a ton of cash on. Okay, that's not good. But uh, anyway, yeah, back to the. Uh, All right, so so to finish it off, because we're now an hour, and to be honest, having to edit this, I'm not editor, and <laughs> but hours. I figured when I edit after I had about a bit after an hour, I start to lose my mind. So I'm going to finish off with um, two or three jokes. They're very lame jokes, 
I want you to rate them out of five, okay? Okay. All right, number one. Did you hear about the Italian chef who died? He passed away. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> so, <laughs> a two for sure. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I saw my vacuum the other day. All it was doing was collecting dust. That's like a... I got a three. <laughs> That's all right. Did you hear about the guy who invented the knock-knock joke? He won the Nobel Prize. God, these hurt. <laughs> these painful to listen to. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, oh, I guess... Uh, I guess I'll give that a two as well. Did you hear about the fire in the shoe factory? 10,000 souls were lost. The police said some heels started it. <laughs> That's actually quite fucking. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm screenshotting that one for. Uh, I'm screenshotting that one for later on when I need to break the ice with people. All right, I'll try and find. I'll try and find one more. Oh no, even that's too bad. Oh, some of these don't even make sense. Oh, what do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. I think I think we're done. <laughs> 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 all, right, all right, Mr. Philly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, till uh, till next week, hopefully, mate. I'll speak to you soon. Have a good one, Broski. All right, take it easy. See you, man. Bye.